This is Hope FM. Well, if you think the same way as I do, uh, you'll, you'll know that Christmas is never Christmas until you've heard the sound of a Salvation Army band, or even better, you know, you hear the singers and the timbrels and so on. Now, my, my next guest is, has been a lifelong member of the Salvation Army. He's now a major. Uh, and uh, But how did the journey begin with you hard? How, you know, your, your whole Salvation Army connections, where did that journey begin? Well, my mother was a Salvationist. My father wasn't, he wasn't a believer. And she sent me to Sunday school when I was very small. Um, played in the sand pit, you know, pre, pre-70s. <laughs> <laughs> With the stories I learned. But I was absorbing those stories. And when I moved into the Sunday school proper at the age of seven, I made a commitment to Christ. Because in the meetings, in, but certainly in those days, they used to make an appeal to the children. They could come and respond. Um, it was a sort of mixed reaction amongst the children because you weren't allowed to play in the junior band or the choir unless you were committed. So some came forward because they wanted to join the band. <laughs> they knew what the rules were, and so they they, they did did that. But um, I have to say that when I came forward, I knelt at what we call the mercy seat. Um, I was aware of something special happened inside me and that I... I wasn't the same afterwards. I don't doesn't mean I never got up to mischief or anything, but I had this uh, awareness of a, of a presence and of company. And I grew up in in the church, and I wanted to express what I'd found. And obviously, full time ministry was a means of doing that. And uh, I committed myself. I became a junior candidate. But you know, when you're young, you live in a very narrow. Um, You've got blinkers. You live in a narrow world of your friends. You're not really aware of much else in the church. You know, people come and go and die. And in your in your little child world, you're unaware. But as you reach teen- teenage, slowly those blinkers widen. And one or two things happened, which happened in every church, sadly, that shocked me because I'd got this idealised view of, of it all. Well, I suppose where, where you have people together you know initially you're going to have you're going to have some challenges aren't you because yes. people are not perfect no no <laughs> and there's plenty in the in the new testament about church being other than perfect but at that age foolishly i took my eyes off christ and i allowed those things to affect me and over a period of time i um retreated in terms of my commitment to be a full-time minister uh you can do all the Christian stuff, but if you're not obedient to God, you can never be happy. And I lost the joy I once had. I moved, uh, I was working in a hospital by then, and I'd got married, and I moved away uh, with no intention of going to a place of worship or having anything to do with it again. It's very difficult to live where you've always lived and, and come out, as it were. But um, we moved to Bristol. Um, then we moved to Northampton. And I, I wasn't attending a place of worship. I wasn't praying. I wasn't looking at my Bible. It was far away. But when you've known something, you can't unknow what you've known. And the difference between um, real Christianity and just doing the Christian stuff is that you have known Jesus. And you can't, even if you try and kid yourself and 
and work out, <laughs> argue with yourself. You can't unknow what you've known. And the Lord never gave up on me. And from, I was away for, what, 10 years from the Lord. And at the age of 30, I, we had two little children then. We got five altogether. But <laughs> at that time, we had just had two little children. One was four, around four, and the other was two. My wife was going, we were living in a village in Northamptonshire. My wife was going out to... Um, visit some friends and you know I was looking after the children I'd been on call at the hospital I was pretty tired and um, put the children to bed and we did the nursery rhymes and stories no prayer no bible reading none of no teaching Mm. but instead of getting up and going I I was always active I was always finding things to do and 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 noise and you know if I wasn't doing the television to be on or the radio be on I as my son fell asleep, I was sat on his bed and I just sat there for a while thinking of their future. And instead of getting up and going in the silence there and thinking about their future, I thought about my past. I thought of that little seven-year-old boy. At the mercy seat. At the mercy seat. With just the, the whole thing of... And although I've now got a new car and a big house and a lovely wife and lovely children, I, I was rich in that sense... I'd lost a thing even more precious than that. And, of course, one of the wonderful stories uh, about Christmas, the realities about Christmas, and indeed all year round, is we have a God who is a God of restoration. You know, he gives us beauty for ashes, as the Bible said. So how did your restoration take place, Hart? Well, sitting on the bed, I thought about my past, as I say, as well as their future, and... As I, th- as I thought more about it, having come in the room with no thought of God, Christ, anything, I think it was the Holy Spirit at work. Well, I know it was, but at the time, I, <laughs> it was just my mind. And um, there grew in me, while I sat there, a longing to have what I once had. And I landed up kneeling at my little boy's bedside and asking God to forgive me to come back into my life nothing happened I was down there a long time Um, I I feel when you do encounter God and and you have to do business with God on on his terms not yours and although I confess stuff to him I feel as if God was saying okay Howard I see that I hear that I heard it (laughs) when you were seven you know, but it's got to be on my terms. And what he did, he revealed even more of the darker side of myself within myself that no one knows, no one sees, to the point at which I broke down. And I knelt there weeping my heart out because I saw myself then as unforgivable. But it was in those tears. See, I came to God expecting him to lift me up, but what he did, he took me down. But it was in those tears that I suddenly sensed the peace. I can't put it into words. I'm convinced it was real and not just an emotional thing. I knew I was forgiven. And I wept even more. <laughs> that in the light of what it revealed to me about me, he still loved me. There you were, kneeling at the at your boy's bed and and God taking you deeper. That evening, of course, um, something else happened because uh, your wife came in from a 
busy day at work and uh, what happened? Well, she was around her friends. Um, that's why I was in charge of the children. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, when, when I got up from my knees, it was dark. I don't know how long. I must have been there a couple of hours, perhaps. Um, and I went into the bathroom and I looked terrible where I'd been weeping. And, and of course, I, you didn't normally weep, did you? <laughs> I, I hadn't cried since I, I childhood, I think. I, I hadn't cried. My wife had never seen me cry. So I was... Um, fanning my eyes, trying to get rid of all appearance. It was a little while before my wife came home. I was in the kitchen, and um, and I checked a few times in the mirror, and I thought I looked normal. <laughs> Not that I am normal, but um, I thought I looked a bit more normal, my no- my normal self. And, uh, and she came in the door, and I said, have you had a good night? And she said that she'd had a good evening, and uh, I said, would you like a cup of tea? And she was looking me full in the face when I said it, and she said, are you all right? And I said, what do you mean? I've made you a cup of tea before, trying to be humorous. And she says, no, is everything okay? Uh, what's, has something happened? I said, yes, something has happened. I feel the whole of my life hung on me saying that, whereas part of me didn't know what a response would be. And But I'd, I think I've made a decision. I've got to, I've got to show the faith to him and uh, she said not the children I said no nothing's happening with the children you can get changed I'll make you a cup of tea and I'll tell you about it and as I shared with her she was deeply moved and tearful and shared with me that she hadn't been happy for a long time I said well why didn't you tell me she said well you always feel you're the answer to everything if I've got a problem you'll resolve it and I didn't know how to tell you because you, you do it, this and that for, for me and, and it's not you <laughs> Anyway, we prayed together for the first time that I could remember, um, stumbling along. Um, and then we had to make a decision over the next few days what we're, we're going to do and what place of worship. And after a lot of thought and prayer, we decided that the Lord wanted us back in the Salvation Army. It wasn't about what we would prefer to do or not do. It's about him because now, whatever you want, Lord, you have. Um, you know, even if we don't like it or we don't want it. And uh, we joined a, 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 the, the nearest Salvation Army Corps and we saw God do incredible things. They were such a godly group and such a small group that it grew because people got saved and came to know the Lord in in a new estate that was there. Learned an awful lot from the Lord. and uh, And... Within a, a couple of years, both felt called to full-time ministry and uh, prepared and, as I say, about two years. Was that two years? Yeah, about two years and uh, went in, down to London to training college to become full-time Salvation Army officers. Now, you've, you're here today partly to talk about your book, your brand new yes. book. But of course, you've written a few books, haven't you? How yes. many in total, Hart? Well, this is the third one. It's three. Mm-hmm. One of the poems that we were talking about over the, you know, off air was was consequences. Would yes. you like to maybe read that to us? Yes. Now, the story of um, the the disciple of the disciples. What am I talking about? The stories of the the magi. You, it, it all seemed beautifully resolved when they go back a different way and not to Herod. But as we know, there were consequences 
of them going to Herod in the first place. Consequences. Travelling home from Bethlehem, I'm sure they never knew the seed that they had planted and the damage it would do, how troops would enter every home around and in that town and butcher all the baby boys to save King Herod's crown. If only they had kept their eyes upon God's heavenly sign, King Herod may have never known or carried out that crime. But when the Magi told him of a newborn king nearby, alarmed, he had to find the child. The infant had to die. Forewarned, the one who sought to kill escaped before... Forewarned, the one he sought to kill escaped before, before troops came and slaughtered all the innocents in wicked Herod's name. The wisest men are foolish still when they, like you and I, replace God's given guidance and on other things rely. We may correct the error made and things work out just so, but what of consequences that we never, ever know? So teach us how to trust in you, to always be our guide. And when I'm pulled another way, Lord, keep me by your side. And of course, that poem is from your your brand new book that you've you've just released, Gift Beyond Measure. Yes. When when did the urge to write come along? Well, very early in my ministry, well, I was still in training college when I sent a a poem. I I rarely ever wrote a poem to a editor of a magazine that was just for officers. It was called The Officer, and he published it, and he was very encouraging. And for many years, I wrote in that magazine, mainly prose, not poetry. But with regards to the the poems in this book, uh, over 30 years ago, when I was very young and had hair, um, I, I was searching for Christmas cards that had a good, strong message that I could send to friends, to family, to um, neighbours, believers or non-believers, to the congregation uh, I couldn't find anything there's some lovely Christian cards but they didn't do what I wanted to do and I could either give up or try and do it myself and that's what I did and I started writing verses um, I struggled with the first one um, which is the first one in the book uh, which people seem to, to really love and over the years I've written poems for every Christmas sometimes I've written an extra one so there's 47 in the book. And, uh, I'm, and you might like me to read the first one I wrote. I can tell you about that. Go oh, for yeah. it. Let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's read well, it. What happened with the first one, having decided I'd have a, have a go, <laughs> hmm. um, I sat in front of a blank piece of paper not really knowing where to start. And, uh, and then I suddenly had that sense of walking into the stable or cattle shed and being there myself and observing what was going on as a, as a witness. And as I looked on the scene, I started to scribble some notes. Then my wife called me because it was tea time and the children were around the table. I went in. But before I left, what entered my head is that I could hear my school teacher when I was a youngster at primary school saying, Howard, you've used the same word, broken, in... in 
in more than on more than one occasion in the same sentence. Find another word. Find another word because that's what they used to say to it mm-hmm. in the past. So at the table, I was not really paying any attention to anybody. I was just trying to think of alternative words for the word broken. And then suddenly, I had the the, the line of a, a nonsense poem, I suppose it is, come into my head. There was a crooked man, and he walked a crooked mile, and he found a crooked sixpence against a crooked style. In every line of that four-lined verse, crooked turns up twice, in other words, eight times. And, <laughs> and I think... Maybe. I, I feel it was the Holy Spirit leading. I know it doesn't seem to make sense <laughs> and it doesn't seem to be anything Christian about it, but I, the Lord works in really, I found, in, in the most strange ways and through the strangest of things. And um, I suddenly thought, I've got to find more ways in which I can say, use the same word. Anyway, I excused myself from the table in the middle of the meal, went in and scribbled those two lines down so I wouldn't forget, went back. Obviously, I got reprimanded because we taught the children they weren't to get down from the table till everyone's finished. And Dad had. <laughs> anyway, I went back in and um, worked on it. And that was the first poem I ever wrote, which is also the first one in the book, Broken. I crept up to the broken door of the broken cattle shed and just across the broken floor saw his broken manger bed. Even the silence was broken by a baying neighing sound. Even the darkness was broken as the lamplight shone around. Even some tears had broken down his weary father's face. Even her heart was broken, giving birth in so foul a place. Only one thing remained there, unblemished, unspoilt, undefiled. Only one thing was unbroken, that tiny, helpless child. Yet this child would one day be broken, nailed to an old broken tree. And the one with the hammer and nails? When I look, I'm shocked, for it's me. So the use of the word broken... I haven't. I didn't count her many times, but it works really well. Yeah, and and of course emphasizes what you wanted to emphasize, which was the brokenness of the entire situation. Which is also reflects on the brokenness of the world he, he came into and is still broken and in need of his healing. What was your first posting like then, Hart? Well, it was in North Wales and uh, a village I'd never heard of. We were commissioned on the platform of the Royal Albert Hall and you go forward and you're, you, you've just become, been made an officer, you've fulfilled that and you're given your commission. And they told me it was in Kevin Mower, North Wales. I had no idea, never heard of it. <laughs> so I had to go home and get a map to see where they were sitting. Where is that? <laughs> <laughs> because un- unlike many churches where the minister might go for interviews and choose where they go, we are sent and we go where we're sent. And uh, it was a little village there and uh, a, a small church, but we learnt an awful lot while we were there. And uh, Including the Welsh language? <laughs> no. <laughs> one, one of the funny things there, I don't know anyone that lived in Kevin and Mower has listened to this, <laughs> but I'll tell you anyway. One of the amusing things of the locals there, there was a, 
a village like uh, um, close by that I c- could never pronounce. And it was only about five miles away, and they were very Welsh-speaking. And these folks in Kivamower that spoke to me, <laughs> probably not everybody, called them Welshies. And I thought, you're Welsh. Because <laughs> 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 it was very much an English-speaking village that we were in, although, obviously, they were Welsh people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So what were the, what was those early years of ministry like? They, they weren't easy. Um, going into a church that was had its way of doing things um, but several things happened while we were there we we had a, three further children we planned two but God in his humour gave us two extra as a bonus as a bonus on the your quiver was full <laughs> <laughs> well he could have given us twins any time other than the last time so we turned up to, out to have five so we had three three within 13 months or 12 months and um and so it that that was a struggle because before the twins were even diagnosed as having twi- you know my wife was diagnosed as having twins um my son had been unwell and we'd been back and forwards to the doctors and then the hospital and um my wife that heard that she'd got a problem and she needed to go into uh, antenatal to have that sorted she had some tests and scans and things Uh, I was meant to take her on the Wednesday but on the Tuesday our son was in hospital overnight and on the Tuesday I was called to go in in the evening and I I said well I've I've been sitting with my son all day You, you could have spoken to me then the consultant's coming in especially to tell you I said, you're making it sound serious. We can't discuss it on the phone. When I went in, um, they told us, um, they broke the news that he had leukaemia. He was 10 years old then. And uh, I had to go home and tell my wife, and we both broke down. I had some friends from the church that were there to support us. But I then had a problem because I was to travel in the ambulance with him to Older Hay, 50 miles away, a Older Hay hospital in Liverpool. Mm. And my wife doesn't drive, and I was taking her to our antenatal because we want to find out what's happening to her. Um, fortunately, the officers in the next corps, Rose, uh, the Welsh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Rose Kanakukrog, I, I don't know, you've, I can't pronounce, I'm an Englishman. But anyway, um, I r- rung them, and they looked after my wife and the older daughter, and... Uh, and, and, and little Naomi, who was, what, 12? No, she was about eight months at that time. And um, we went to the... We went to the... Um, I, I, I went in the ambulance the following day to the hospital and they confirmed, they did all the tests again, they confirmed it was leukaemia and within minutes that afternoon I got a phone call and uh, to tell me that it wasn't spina bifida, which is what they thought it was, because it was an out increase what they call alpha feta protein that it was twins and apparently I went silent because the the voice of the the our fellow officer who was him and his wife were looking after my wife said are you still there I said Paul I, I said I've got a sense of humor that's not very funny <laughs> now why you say crazy things in such a situation yes. or I do <laughs> and he said and he said, no I'm not 
joke because he, he, got, he's got a wild sense of humor. He said, no, no, I'm not joking. I was rotten to him, really. He said, I'm not joking, I'm not joking, it's true. I'll, I'll put your wife on the line, I'll put Judy on the line. And she confirmed and I told her, you know, it's a confirmation of leukemia. So it was a mixture of relief because we'd been told the possible spina bifida with the little one because a spina bifida child produces more of this protein but the reason there was more of that protein in her blood was because there were two embryos, two, fe- yeah. two fetuses. Mm. So, um, you know, we, we laughed with relief and tragedy at the same time. But the Lord took us all, all through that and, and even used it. There were people that came to know the Lord through that situation. And people used to say, how do you manage? I said, are we managing? We get up in the morning, we get through the day and flop back into bed. We're just gonna, and, one day at a time. Uh, one day at a time. And doors opened. Uh, at the hospital, there was a couple of rooms next to the ward of the cancer children. Um, they were occupied, but one became vacant within two days, and it was room enough for a cot. So Judy could go there with Naomi and her, her lump, of course, and they could keep an eye on her because she needed rest. Yep. Well, if she was at home and I was there, she wouldn't rest, but they could keep an eye on her. She could be close to our son, Christopher, which just left Sarah and I, you know, his younger sister, at home. And um, But things kept happening like that. Someone I worked with in pathology in Bristol was working in Liverpool, not in that hospital, and he had some specimens come in, and he saw this name, Christopher Webber. Well, there may be loads of Christopher Webbers. And he saw the age, and he, he knew our son from way back when he was little. And he just inquired more, found out more, and he, he and his wife turned up on the ward. And they were such a help. I, I was 50 miles away trying to get there when I can and get Sarah to school. Um, they took in Judy's washing, and they did an awful lot for her. Um, and I get moved thinking of them and, and yet I didn't even know they would know sometimes you, you're aware of the Lord's hand on a thing you haven't got the whole picture because he doesn't share his mind completely but you can't deny the fact there's more than meets the eye going on and, and it's him I wish he'd divulge a bit more to me but <laughs> he tells me what I need to know <laughs> Maybe I'd be dangerous if I knew more. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and of course, you, your first book um, had the theme of of evangelism uh, yes. uh, and so on. And you you met another uh, couple who'd lost their child. You tell us about that. Yeah. So when we the following year, we were moved to Crewe, which wasn't that far away, and that church was struggling and that had known lots of losses in congregation and members i could see such needs and then i couldn't respond to them because of our own personal circumstance and there were other issues going on um and i i used to come home on a sunday night and um just break down and weep my wife didn't know because she went to bed early because she was up we had this little contract between between ourselves because i've got to be out there in the public 
she'd let me get my sleep. I'd get up about half past five because I'd do all the nappies, you know. <laughs> you can't just put them in the washing machine. And those are the days when you steep them in the bucket. <laughs> That's right. And they, they needed rinsing before you put oh, them in the washing yes. machine. Yes. Yeah, it's a whole story, which I won't... <laughs> everyone would be switching off the radios. But, um, yeah, and so we had this sort of contract, and, and she would be in bed by eight o'clock sometimes, and when I came home from evening worship, Every, it was as if I was a bachelor, although there's six people up in bed. I'd weep before the Lord and just plead with him to, a very short prayer, help. I think he loves that prayer. I'm when sure we don't he does. know when to t- <laughs> where to turn. The truth is we ought to pray it far more because some of us have got gifts, spiritual gifts or whatever, and we become dependent on the gifts and not the giver, I think. It's just a personal. And there are times when I think, I'm not as desperate as I was. I wish I was in that sense because you come to him in a different way. But anyway, um, there was a little boy in the junior church, in the Sunday school, he'd committed his life to Jesus. Very unfortunate story. When he was 18 months, he had a cancer behind the eye, and when they radiated it, they destroyed the eye. It still had the eye, but it, you know, he couldn't see. He only had one eye that he could see through. But he also had cystic fibrosis, um, which often meant he'd get this um, phlegm, this all this mucus in his lungs that needed to be cleared. Uh, it was very dangerous. His mum used to k- take a little pump in her shopping bag with her wherever she went. So in emergency, while they wait for an ambulance, she could be clearing his airways. And... Uh, we, we, we saw him and he came round our house very early on and got to know. He was interested in my stamp collection. I hadn't added anything for years, but he liked what I hadn't thrown out. <laughs> and um, we'd only been there six weeks and I contracted meningitis and was rushed into hospital, blue lights and all of that. Well, that was very difficult for my wife because she can't drive. She's now got five children at home. <laughs> And there were three under the age of 20 months at that time. Um, people in the church were very good in supporting and taking her shopping and helping her in that way. Um, I'd been in there a few days and I, I was getting better, but it was a slow job. And uh, they told me it was very fortunate I didn't have bacterial. I had viral um, which means that I wouldn't have brain damage, which is different to what some of my friends said to me <laughs> but anyway um little andrew had to come in with his mum for hydrotherapy in the bath it was good for his chest and his breathing his lungs apparently and because i was in on the top floor they brought him up to see me and he was highly amused i mean he's muttering to his mum i said he's laughing at me isn't he i said andrew tell me and he wouldn't tell me and she says, he thinks it's funny because normally he's in pyjamas when the minister, the officer, comes to visit him. <laughs> and you're in pyjamas and he's dressed. And I've never forgotten the time. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. The following morning, you know, they wake you early and take your temperature and, you know, you, and it's not even breakfast time. So you try to get some more sleep and... At about nine o'clock, there was mum and dad at the bottom of the bed. It was a strange time to be visiting. And I said, I didn't expect to see you there. And they just blurted out, Andrew's dead. Andrew's died. 
and I was so shocked. And he died at four o'clock in the morning. That's why four o'clock, exactly 12 hours after their visit. Yeah. And apparently he'd had this congestion and she'd tried to clear it, waiting for the ambulance. Because they were so worried, they put him in the car. They thought they'd get to the hospital quicker than they'd... Um, but they just didn't save him. It's something they dreaded all through the years. And uh, I didn't know what to say. I tried to pray, but my head wasn't straight anyway. Um, when I came out, I came out on the day of the funeral funeral that I should have conducted so I had a great guilt thing not being there for them when they need me most possibly I could bring it all to the Lord of course and uh, but I, I made the decision that if they would la like me to and as I say her husband didn't know the Lord, she was a believer I'd go and visit them, spend a whole evening once a month and so that, that's what I did we, been visiting them a few months when one day she went out make up a tea and biscuits or cake and dad Dennis turned to me and said I could never join the Salvation Army I said who's ever asked you to I've never asked you to I don't know that God wants you in the Salvation Army so what do you mean I said well I don't know whether you want you in the Baptist the Methodist Church of England or whatever and then suddenly this thought into my head, I'm only certain of abs absolutely certain of one thing God wants of you. And he said, what's that? I said, a personal, intimate relationship with you. And I, I felt as if God was saying to me, no, shut up, Howard. Because I wanted to say more, of course. <laughs> and um, I waited in the silence. And he, and he never said any more. And then his wife came in with the, and the tea, tea and biscuits. And that was it. Um months went by and he said to me again when she was out of the room that's a man thing isn't it you know men men tend to be very private about the things deep within themselves anyway she she was out of the room and he said there's a question i'd always wanted to ask somebody like you i said someone like me you mean six foot five or minister or ugly or, or whatever anyway he's i said what's What's the, what's the question? No, you'll think I'm an idiot. By then, I'd got a rapport with him. I said, I know you're an idiot. It won't change anything. So we both had a little laugh. He said, what it is, I used to go up to the hospital. Um, Joy would be with him during the day, but she'd go home for the other boy, they had a, a younger lad. And I would cycle up to the hospital and I would sit with him. It could be very lonely. I could be there till 10, half past 10. And sometimes when he was in intensive care, he'd be out for the count. And it, it happened through the years. He'd have emergencies and be... And the sister would come and have a chat with me or bring me a, a sandwich and a drink to just break up. But there were occasions... No, no, you're going to think I'm... Full. I said, go on, Dennis, don't take me so, so far and drop me. This is the first story in that book, first book. I said, go on, finish the story. And he said... Well, I'd be sitting there, and I thought the sister's come up behind me, like she does, and I turned around, and she was way off in the, ner at the nurse's station with a little light on, writing the notes. I thought, well, that's strange. I, I could have sworn she was just on my shoulder. She just... And that sense, I turned around, and lo and behold, she's not there. It's very peculiar. And it, through the years, not every time he was in, but through the years, I've had that experience a few times. And what I wanted to ask you, I know it might seem a silly question, but do you think that was God? Now, I should have asked him more questions to get clarity on the experience, but I didn't. It was as if a, a red light turned to green without going through the orange. And I said, mm. 
It was God, Dennis. He loves you. He'd been seeking you for years. You probably never noticed it. But it was, it, have you ever looked at a view over, over, over the valleys and, and something gone through you more than what you're looking at? And it, as if he's elbowing you and saying, yes, and, you know, hmm. because he did it all. He's the creator. And, uh, and it was only after a bit of gabbling on my part. I said, oh, what was the experience like? And he said... Well, it sounds silly because sometimes I could be having a weep wondering I'm, where we were going to lose him. There was always that hanging over us. And yet it was like a peace came over me. I said, you know, Dennis, that's what God wants for everyone. Do, uh, you, do you have a poem you could read us from your new book that might touch yeah, some of that, those areas? I'm not sure whether I've got one that um, does cover that area. This is Hope FM. Now, I know you all thinking that's hard with sharing that about his son, Christopher. Will you be pleased to know that Christopher survived that leukaemia? And, and uh, how old is he now? He's 48. 40. Yeah. Wow. Have you got a poem for us? From, this is from the new book. Yes, yes. God's Secret Stare. No Dorchester or Palace Grand, no five-star ensuite room, no carpet red with entourage, no paparazzi zoom. No flashbulbs, questions, razzmatazz, no banquets, cavalcades, no television interviews, no hype or masquerade. But down a quiet, secret stair, God chose to send his son, the greatest drama to unfold since history begun. God crept into the world, a babe, dependent on a girl. For love, for life, for sustenance, was he who made the world. Yet hidden in that helpless thing, that baby in a trough, is life and hope beyond the dreams for those who want enough. For those who see beyond their eyes, that baby is the key to one unending Christmas God offers you and me. Where do you get the, the inspiration hard for those, those wonderful poems? Well, it, there's all sorts of sources. <laughs> Sometimes it can be well, there's one in here that people seem to like about uh, children's nativity or school nativity. And um, Of course, it's the season. <laughs> it's the season. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on at the moment. Give us, give and, us a read of it. Okay, let me find it. Um, bear with me. It's coming, folks. Yes, it's, it's coming. coming. The school nativity. Boys in dressing gowns surround the manger. Dolly wrapped in tea towel in the straw. Girl with plastic wings picks her nose and loudly sings as a wise man drops his myrrh upon the floor. The village crowd into the school performance. Parents smile while teachers start to flap. As dear Mary fails to say, lines she's practised every day. And her brother shouts to prompt her from the back. We find these school nativities amusing the things they do, the way they get things wrong. Yet what we fail to see is the script for you and me that's been waiting our attention for so long. So when your splitting sides are sore with laughter, recovering while they sing Silent Night, remember, in the hay lies the one who wrote our play, who is waiting still for us to get it right. 
Fantastic. I can see why people why people like that because it's obviously the sorts of things that happen at these nativity yes. plays. Uh, uh, anyway, how has the book been being received? I mean, I know that you were down in Keith Jones a few weeks ago and you were doing as uh, you're doing some now some readings and so on. What what sort of feedback have you had? Well, they do seem to be going very very well. Um, I had a phone call from another bookshop yesterday, uh, day before yesterday asking if I'd got any books because they can't get any from their supplier and they'd heard me on another um, broadcast and uh, I was able to send I mean I've sold 400 myself Can people buy direct from you if, if, yes. if they were on out? Yeah, I've, yeah. Got, I've got plenty Fantastic. I think I, I, think I overstocked. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you guys have difficulty in getting hold of the book, just drop me a line, and then I'll put you in touch with uh, with with Hard yeah. and and whatever. But uh, obviously, this is the season. I mean, clearly, you have years and years of ministry experience, Hard. And what we'll have to do in the new year is have you back to tell us so so much more. Maybe your wife has. As, as well come together and share something about what what are you are you doing now are you, are you still actively involved at Winton uh, well I, I run a, the Bible study there obviously there's limitations with the COVID etc um, sure. uh, they do a wonderful ministry which I'm not part of you know for the homeless um, they, they provide meals on a well, you've got the place next door haven't you so that's <laughs> it. exactly what I was going to say yes and yeah. they do all sorts for, for people And uh, I mean one of the lovely things about the Salvation Army of course has been the fact that it has always been an army of, of people who really care I mean passionate about the gospel yes. uh, and I love, I've always loved that phrase You know, I know you've just had a text at the beginning today to say one of your friends has been promoted to glory that's the yes. term that you use as salvationist I really love that and yes. I suppose that's the that's the great hope, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, pick another song there for, or another uh, poem for us. Well, you were asking about inspiration. I remember when I was a little boy and some of the listeners, it depends on that your age, <laughs> your age listener, um, might remember when it was frosty on the inside of your window, when there was no central <laughs> heating, no double glazing. And this, this is the true story that I put into poetry um, when I was young. Like many a child, when I was young, I woke before the birds had sung, and there, across the room I saw, my sack now full upon the floor. Excitedly, I soon unwrapped the contents of the bulging sack, and found in each a new surprise that brought delight to sleepy eyes. Inside my window, frost had formed, I breathed on it, and as it warmed, a hole appeared. I looked to see if Santa would wave back to me. There was no Santa in the sky. I saw no sleigh or reindeer fly. Though Mum called out, go back to bed, I played with my new toys instead. Next Christmas, I awoke to noise. I saw my dad bring in my toys, destroying childhood fantasy of Santa's generosity. Some think that the nativity, like Santa, is absurdity. Though it may seem far-fetched, it's true. Christ came, a babe, for me and you. I mean, they're, they're amazing poems, actually. And uh, and I suppose you know when it's all coming together, you know, like when you... I'm thinking what the very first one you, that you shared earlier on, the very first poem, when you said you were looking at a blank sheet. Yes. Well, I mean, clearly uh, the inspiration is is flowing. 
I guess you're probably already thinking about your next project, are you? No. <laughs> I'm being kept pretty busy with this at the moment. <laughs> well, Hart, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for, for joining me on, on the radio and indeed sharing your poem. The book is called uh, The uh, Author of, Well, A Gift Beyond Measure. Um, and uh, how much does it cost, Hart? Well, they're, they're $8.99, um, but I, I sell with a discount of 99p. Now, there, so. you, there you go. This is Hope FM.